Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Josh and uh, Josh and our worship team. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for watching online as well and at our Rossville campus too. Hey, Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Colossians chapter 3, I'm still in the sermon series, Life Upgrade. It's time to update. Like, How are we updating our walk with God? We had all of that theology in the beginning of Colossians, and now we are um, uh, in the final stretch of the book of Colossians, and we're talking about upgrading our life and what Paul has to say about practical everyday living. And so today I want to preach on this subject, what's in your closet. The Bible's literally going to tell us today what we ought to wear. So let's talk about what's in your closet. Hey, you've heard the expression, right? Uh, Clothes make a man, clothes make a woman. We probably believe that in America because we have a lot of clothing We even spend a lot on clothes. The average American family spends about $1,800 a year on clothing. Now, I know what some of you men are thinking, right? Right? What are you men thinking? Don't say it out loud. Your wife spends that much all on her own, right? Uh, But the average woman in her closet has somewhere between $1,000 to $2,500 worth of clothes herself. And get this, 9% of women in America have more than $10,000 sitting in their closet. Of course, they only wear about $75 worth of it, but they have the other 9925 there. And then, then I, I thought I'd just look it up because I'm curious how much, or, uh, um, how much do we spend on shoes. I like shoes. My wife will tell you I like shoes more than she does, and, but I don't apparently like shoes as much as some people do, because the average person in America, do you know how many pairs of shoes the average person in America buys a year? A year? Somebody guess. How many? Five. Five, six, right. Okay, now eight. Eight pairs of shoes a year. I probably buy several pair a year. I'll leave it at that, several pair a year. But I'm not buying eight. Somebody in the room is buying 15 pairs of shoes a year. Of course, until COVID, right? Until COVID. And sales of clothing plummeted on clothing. You know what went up during COVID? You know what went up? I'm not going to put it on the screen, but you know what went up during COVID? The sale of false eyelashes went up 15% over COVID. 15%. Does anybody know why? Zoom, right? And mask, because all we can see your eyeballs now. And so... Um, Man, I found a good deal on false eyelash. No, I, I, I didn't buy any. I didn't buy any. I didn't buy any. Guess what went down? The sale of lipstick dropped 5% during COVID. The sale of dress shoes dropped 75% in March 
in April last year. And to me, this is the most interesting one, the sale of Levi's. By the way, which Levi's jeans are the number one selling jeans in America, even among millennials and younger groups, Levi's have made a comeback. The sale of jeans, uh, Levi jeans dropped 25% during COVID. Why would the sale, because most people are dressing down, why would the sale of Levi's drop 25%? You know why? They were not wearing pants on your Zoom call. I looked for a video to show you. There are all kinds of good videos, but none of them were appropriate for this setting. You've heard this expression, right? The clothes make the man. You've, you've heard that expression. You, you can apply it men and women, but clothes make the man. We, we normally attribute that to Mark Twain. You, you remember Mark Twain wrote a long time ago? Mark Twain actually said this. Mark Twain said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. Twain was not the first one, though, to, to point out that we have a propensity to judge a book by its cover. It's actually, clothes make the man actually originated 400 years earlier during the uh, Middle Ages, Erasmus, who was a Catholic priest, had written a book where he collected over 4,000 essays and proverbs. And in that book of essays and proverbs, he had this, uh, this phrase in there, vestus verum facet. And I, my Latin is not good, just bear with me. And literally translated, it means clothes make the man. But what he's actually doing is quoting a proverb by a fellow named Quintilian who said this, to dress within the formal livings and with an air gives men, as the Greek line testifies, authority. He was trying to say that when men dress a certain way, it gives them authority. And then Homer came along and before that and had written this in his epic about 7 or 8 BC. He had written, from these things you may be sure, men get a good report. At first thought his appearance was unseemly, but now he has the air of the gods who dwell in the wide heaven. That was all fancy way of saying 100 years ago that clothes make the man or clothes make a good impression. And so what all those sayings are trying to sum up is this, the impact of making a good impression by clothes and bling and fine threads, whatever it is, was not even lost on the great classical writers. They were aware that your clothing made a difference. Here's why. People have impressions about you based on what you have on. That people have an internal a judgment of your insides based on what you have on on your outsides that what I am what I'm giving someone outside makes them determine what I'm going to be like on the inside so as we would say today we have a tendency to judge a book by its cover right and clothing is just one of those things people make an impression you make an impression on people by what you have on and let me say that's true in regular life we can't get away from it may not like it but it's just true and by the way if you did a zoom call with no pants on people if they find out they have an impression of you good or bad but Paul came along and said this what you wear definitely makes an impression on the people around you he said Paul put a twist on it Paul put a twist on it. Paul came along and said, 
The external impression you make on others gives them an internal impression of you. None of that. Here's what Paul's trying to tell us in Colossians chapter 3. Paul is trying to tell us this, that it's not just a reflection on us. That people, our lives, what we're wearing, make an impression or give people an idea of what Jesus is really like. See, when people make an external judgment about us, when people make an external judgment about what we're wearing, they're also making that same judgment about Jesus, and they are, they are judging Christianity. They are judging the work of Jesus in your life. They are judging the work of Jesus in the world based on what you're wearing now some of you are looking down thinking wait did I dress appropriately today but Paul puts another spin on it Paul's not talking about clothing right the Bible does talk about how we ought to dress specifically that we uh, ought to dress modestly right there there ought to be a modest decorum about children of God but Paul uses this idea of clothing and Paul's not actually talking about our clothing he's just using it as an analogy and Paul in Colossians chapter 3 12 through 17 he is talking about dressing in our virtues our attitudes and our actions that is how we comport ourselves in our daily living tells the world a lot about us and tells the world about Jesus Christ. It makes an impression on everyone who crosses our path because how others view us matters because how they judge our Christian life is also how they're going to judge Jesus. You say, well, that's, that's not fair. They, they ought not to judge Jesus based on me. Well, I'm sorry, you may be the only Jesus they see. They don't have a choice but to judge Christianity based on how it's affected your life. So we're not reading just yet, but look in your Bibles and look at verse number 12. Look look at your Bible and and look at uh, verse number 12 in your Bible. And here's what he said. Uh, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved, look at that word, put on, put on. He's going to use that same phrase again in just a moment. We'll see it again. I'll point it out when we read our scripture, put on. The word in the Greek there literally means to put on as if you're putting on a garment. Now, Paul's already told us, we looked at it last week, what to put off. And I mentioned it last week, I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I mentioned last week that Paul said you ought to take off these actions as if you're taking off clothing. Paul said to put off these things. Well, now he comes around and he gives us the very opposite and he tells us that what we ought to put on, that there is a spiritual clothing that is representative of a new life in Christ. And how I dress spiritually, how I look spiritually makes an impression on everybody around me. And these virtues are to be lived out, and they're to be on display, and they're to be put on for all the world to see. So let's see what Paul was talking about. Stand with me if you don't mind in honor of reading God's Word. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse number 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12. Therefore... As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. Here it is. Get clothed, right? Get clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, get this, this this hurts, right? I'll say it in a minute. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you're also to forgive. Above all, here we see it again. 
Put on, clothe yourself in love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, get this, in word or in deed, word or in deed, what you say and how you act, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul calls us in this verse and he, uh, he tells us that we are the chosen ones. Hear me now. If you are born again, you are a chosen one of God. You have been called out by God. You have been selected to behave a certain way. You have been selected, if you're a child of God, that there are certain clothes you put on. As a matter of fact, when you get saved, here's what happens to you. God redoes your whole wardrobe spiritually when you get saved. God goes in your closet. He takes everything out of your closet that used to be in there. Man, it's all no good. It's all rotten. It all smells bad. God takes all that out. And then God comes over here and he gives you all on his own, through his own power, a brand new change of clothes. And God gives us, according to Paul here, at least four different outfits that he wants us to wear. Let me show you what they are. Number one, I'll call them this. You're stepping out clothes. Stepping out clothes. Look at Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God chosen one, holy and dearly beloved, here's what he tells us to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, uh, just as the Lord has forgiven you and put on love, the bond of unity. All of those are what I'll call your stepping out calls. He t- he t- clothes. He tells us to put on these virtues. All of these virtues are what affect our outward relationships. Here it is. It's how we interact with the people around us. It's how we act when we go out from these church walls. I mean... Can we be honest? It's one thing to act all holy and good in church. That's not hard, is it? Right? You can be good in church. You you can use the right language in church. You don't ever slip up in church and say the wrong thing. You you normally don't get in a fight and argument at church. You might on the way to church. You just don't get in one at church. Right? You, 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 I mean, there's there's some things. I mean, like like you, you can put on, but we don't like good in here, right? We, we can all pray a pretty prayer in here. We can all act like we care in here. We can all come uh, appropriately here. Like we, we, we know how to act all holy and good in church. But can I tell you, it's when you're not around the preacher. And it's when there isn't a sermon or a song. That's what people notice. People don't pay one bit of attention to your godliness in this room. People pay close attention our godliness or lack thereof outside the room and and more than that you know what they pay most attention to they pay most attention to how you treat them and so paul lays out a very specific list of virtues that ought to clothe the christian here they are i just put them all up here in bulk they're in your bible but just it's good to see them all together he lays out things like compassion, right? That's to show mercy and, and concern for other people, that we care about what's going on in other people's lives. And then that compassion ought to move us to kindness. The word in the 
uh, kindness in the Greek there means to do something beneficial for somebody else. And then there's the word humility, which means lack of pride or lowliness of mind. And someone said it this way, such a good definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. That's humility. And then there's the word patience, and it's an attitude of the Spirit. Here's what the Greek definition of that word is, that we accept God's dealings with us as good uh, and do not dispute or resist. Aristotle said about that word uh, gentleness that it was the middle standing ground between two extremes. It's neither getting angry without reason, but it doesn't mean not getting angry at all. It's just the perfect tempered person. And then there's the word patience. And you, you, you know what that means. It's an emotional state of calm going on in your life. It comes from God, but it's there. Then there's bearing with one another. That word means that we are to have patience with the errors and weaknesses of others. Errors and weaknesses of others. See, people notice how much we bear with them, right? And by the way, we normally bear with the ones we love the most, the least. Right? We have the least patience and the least forgiveness for errors or weaknesses with the ones we love the most. But the Bible says people judge you by how you are able to look over their weaknesses, their errors. And then it says we're to forgive one another. Man, it, it, I wish it had just said forgive one another, but that's not what it says. It says we're to forgive one another just as Jesus the Lord has forgiven you. you. Paul doesn't even say us. He says you. You. So all you have to do is ask yourself, would Jesus forgive that person? You know what the answer always is? Say it with me. Yes, always. What about, mm -mm, forgave it, he forgave it. And so then he tops it off with the word love, which is the word agapeo in the Greek. It's that sacrificial love. And then he tops that off with the the bond of unity uh, beyond that, which means that that you're engaged in bringing people together, not separating them. You look at that list, I know what you think, because I think it too. You think, wow, anybody that can pull all that off would be a really good person. But hear me, this is the person God has called us to be. This is the person that God has called us to interact. Our total focus ought to be on treating others with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. That ought to be our total focus and how we treat others. Listen, how we react to others, how we serve others and give to others and forgive others and love them, all of that is a representation of Christ. You say, preacher, I don't have a chance of this. If you have been saved, yes, you have been given all of the power to do this. Somebody say amen right there. It's the power of the Holy Spirit our immersion into the Christ life. And we have the ability to be this person, but it requires one thing, one thing, one thing. It requires us to get our focus off of ourselves and get our focus on others. And the reason we can't put on our stepping out clothes is because we are too focused on how we are being treated instead of letting Christ live through us to treat others the right way. The fact is, we tend to be infatuated with ourselves. 
We only see ourselves. We only see how we've been treated. We only see how we are treated. And that is the exact opposite of the Christian life. The Christian life is a, not a focus on me. The Christian life is a focus on others. Others. And in this society, we become a fastly, fastly, quickly infatuated with ourselves. It's even on, it's even on social media, right? We have a whole term for this on social media. You know, you know what it's called? It's called a selfie. A selfie. I mean, just do a little research on selfies. You'll find out. And the number's growing every day. You can't keep up with it. But the, if, you, if you, National Selfie Day, by the way, National Selfie Day was June 21st. National Selfie Day. And if you go to Instagram and search the hashtag selfie, you'll find immediately over 450 million posts. And that's just a fraction of the selfies, a small fraction because most of us don't do hashtag selfie. So just a small fraction of the selfie, there are, there are 450 million and counting by the millions every day. And there's all kinds of selfies, right? I did a little research. There's all kinds of selfies. Apparently, there is the duck face selfie. Which I don't know. It's something like you push your lips out. I don't, I don't quite get that one. There are the, the, there's foodie selfies. There's car selfies. There's glamour selfies. There's bathroom selfie. I'm assuming that's makeup related. Dear God, please let that be makeup related. Um, there's the ever popular gym selfie. There's the pet selfie. There's the celebrity selfie. I'll, I'll pose for photos afterwards. And then there's the, there's the bestie selfie. There's the travel selfie. There's the baby selfie. And then there's the most ever popular selfie that there is uh, on the planet, and that is the preacher selfie. Can y'all all wave at me right here? That's the, that's the one that people are really into right now are, are the preacher selfies. Uh, it's the big one, if you didn't know. But here's what I'm afraid. I'm afraid that taking selfies has made us selfish. And we care more about how we're being treated than we care about how we're treating others. And Paul comes along and says, hey, you've got some stepping out clothes. Here's how you're to step out and treat others around you. You are to clothe yourself in the virtues of Christ. And you're to help others. And you're to give hope to others. And you're to heal others and spread joy to others. I want to ask you, how much of your time do you spend on you versus you spending on others? You know, make your marriage better? Spend more time trying to make your spouse happy than you spend trying to make you happy. Spend more time on how your spouse is being treated than you're spending on how you're being treated. You, you want to have a better family? Parents, treat your kids well. Kids, treat your parents well. Don't worry about how you're being treated. You want to do well on your job? Listen, don't go to your job and make sure, try to figure out how you can be happy. You go to your job and figure out how you make your employer happy or your employees happy. When you go to the ball field, instead of screaming at somebody else's kids, why don't you encourage somebody else's kids? When you come to church, instead of demanding your preferences, why don't you care more about the mission of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Here's what Paul said in another place. Man, this is a powerful verse. Here's what Paul said. Every man, everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest. You know what comes next? Interest of others. Interest of others. I'm afraid that it may be others have barely crossed our minds, but it ought to be at the forefront of our minds. Here's how you do it. You go home and put others first. You go home and you forgive others first. You go home and you be kind to them. You help with them. You bear patient with them. Listen to me. We'll win the world to Jesus. We'll restore the relationships in our lives. We'll fix our homes if we'll go home and put their interests above our interests. How much have you done that this week? How much have you done that with the people you interact with? I mean, families, coworkers, friends, neighbors, you name it. How much have you tried to meet their needs versus you trying to get your needs met? Oh, preacher, you don't know how I'm being treated. Preacher, you don't know what they do to me. Preacher, you don't I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I get it. But if you want to change them, you start by changing you. You, you put on those clothes that represent the virtues of a child of God. Number two, he, he talked about this. Number two, he talked about what I'll call our laying around clothes. I won't spend a lot of time here, but he talked about verse 15. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Paul switches from talking about how we're treating others to talking about our inward. And he uses these three words, peace, hearts, and thankful. Peace, hearts, and thankful. Here's the problem. Can I tell you the problem with what I just told you in point number one? I don't normally go back and reference the problem about what I just preached. But the problem with what I just preached is this. No, no, not everyone around you, if you go back and do point one, right? If you go back and do what I said in point one, here's, here's the problem. And I hate to even tell you this, but you'll figure it out by this afternoon if I don't tell you. Not everyone else is going to be playing by those same rules. Like, you, you know what? Here's, we, we have this psychological filter, and we treat others the way we want to be treated typically, and we expect other people to treat us the way we're treating them. And it just doesn't always work that way because I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go home fired up today. You're going to come down to the altar in a minute, and you're going to pray to God, God, help me to forgive that person in my life. Help me to show love and compassion to that person in my life. And you're going to go home, and you're going to forgive them, and you're, you're going to do all this really neat stuff, and you know what they're going to do back to you? Nothing. Or they may even treat you worse. Like point number one is not saying people around you are going to treat you better. Point number one is saying you've got to treat people around you better. Because that's the reason you got point number two in here is because not everybody's going to be playing by those same rules. So hear me. Here's what happens. When that happens the first time and the second time and the third time, it's going to cause you an enormous amount of anxiety, resentment, and bitterness in your life. And Paul said, because we know that's true, you're going to have to have a work going on inside you as well. And here's why I call it laying around clothes. For those times in your life when you're laying around the house and your mind starts messing with you, pointing out how badly you have it, pointing out how badly you are being treated or have been treated or what's done to you, that's when it happens. Happens when you get a little moment by yourself, when you get a little bit of that laying around time, you get just a moment by yourself and your mind gets quiet. And the devil will reach up and say, can you believe that? I mean, look what you did. You, you forgave them. 
They didn't deserve it. You forgave them. You've been nice to them. You, you encouraged them. And now look how they're treating you. And Paul's trying to let us know, hey, you're going to have to have a deep dive with the Holy Spirit of God in your life and prayer and the Word of God in your life. Because, listen, you're going to need peace in your heart and thankfulness in your heart. Peace and thankfulness are like well-worn fuzzy slippers to the soul, man. They are what? Calm our soul when the devil's trying to do uh, get us agitated, and here's what you have to do. And when you, when, after you've done point number one, you've got to get to put, put on point number two, and you've got to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my faith in God that he will work it all out, and I'm going to thank God for what he has already done in my life. Have you ever wondered what happens in your washing machine? Have you ever wondered what happens in your washing dryer? Here's a 14-year-old girl named Christy Conrad in California, 1993, 1993, she did a, a science experiment for her high school because she noticed that, she, by the way, she won first place in the county science fair, and she went on to the state, the state finals at the Museum of Science and Industry in Los Angeles, all 1993, and she wondered what, here it is, what happens to your underwear in the washing machine and dryer? Why do they always get turned inside out? And so she did an experiment. She tracked underwear and t-shirts t-shirts for a hundred loads of laundry. And she put them all in the washing machine correctly, right side in, all that stuff. They're all perfectly placed in the washing machine. And she tracked a hundred loads of laundry when they came out of the dryer. And here's what she discovered, that more than 50% of the time, the underwear was tossed so violently that it turned inside out. Whether it was a t-shirt or whether it was a pair of underwear, it all got tossed so violently that it was turned inside out way more than 50% of the time, except her sister's jockey underwear. And she won awards with this back in 1993. And Jockey heard about it, at the experiment, and they donated Jockey underwear to the entire family after she had done it. You say, why in the world do I care about the, that? Here, here's why I'm telling you that. Too often we let our emotions and our spirits get inside us in the dryer of life. And we get all turned around ourselves when our world is kind of upside down, tossed around. Here's when we're, our world is filled with problems and anxieties and fears and struggles. And we're, we have a tendency to let it get us turned inside out. When God said, here's what you've got to have. When they're not treating you well, when they're not forgiving you, when they're not loving you. Here's what Jesus said. Be a pair of jockey underwear. That sounded better in my study when I said it in my study. Uh, be, let peace and thankfulness rule in your heart. Put your th faith in God. And here's what you do when nobody's forgiving you, when nobody's loving you, when nobody's kind of you. You be thankful for every blessing in your life. Can, can I tell you this? The world always notices peace. The world always notices thankfulness. It's so rare they can't help but notice it. What do you portray to the world around you? Are you portraying peace in your heart? Or is you, are you upset as a world that's lost and on its way to hell? The peace of heaven ought to fill our hearts. Are you portraying thankfulness or do you complain as much as the world around you? What impact could you make if peace and thankfulness invaded your heart? i, I got to hurry. I'm, number three, here's what Paul said. Paul said, you, you, let me say a word about our church clothes. 
He takes it to the more corporate level here in verse number 16. And we see it. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Here, here are the three things he said for us to do. It's obviously referring to church here. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. That could be a sermon, message, or music. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That the word of God all of fill up our lives, that we ought to be learning and growing together. It's the application of information that makes all the difference. That's done through church. That's done through small groups. It's done through sermons. It's done through, uh, through discipleship, that this ought to fill us. And then we ought to come along and have psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Psalm, songs of deliverance. You, you know what those are. A, 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 a spiritual song is a direct address of praise and glory to God. A hymn is a, is a song that comes right out of Scripture. We sing a lot of those here, even though you may not notice them at a, as a hymn. You may call it a contemporary song, but they come straight out of Scripture. We're commanded to do all of those things as a church body, and he sums it up. I didn't put it up here, but do it as gratitude. And Paul is trying to tell us that our commitment to the church, our involvement in the church, our love for the church for which Jesus died is a testimony and a witness to the people around us, whether it's believers or unbelievers alike. It says something. It says something to a lost and dying world if you love the church. And I'm afraid we have a problem about that. We don't have it here at Peavine, but let me, let me talk about other places we spend more time criticizing the church than we do actually involved in the church. You know one reason we lost a generation to Christ? Because the consumerism mentality of their parents caused them to get in a church and complain about everything they didn't like on the way home from church. Well, if I were preaching, I wouldn't have said that. If I had it do over, I wouldn't say it again either. It's just hard to do sometimes. I apologize for no Tennessee jokes I've ever said. I would say all of those over again. And when football season starts back, be prepared. But, but well, I wouldn't have sung that song. I wouldn't have taught that lesson. If I were, if I were a greeter, I would have greeted better. If I, if I were a teacher, oh, Okay. We're having open enrollment for serving Jesus. I'm afraid one day there will be a reckoning towards our attitude or for our attitude towards church. If I, if I told you we were having a dinner after church and we were serving pink slime, how many of y'all would want to eat dinner, right? Probably all, almost none, but that, that's what happened to a company called BPI, though, a few years ago. Just about eight or nine years ago, a company called BPI uh, was ABC... Dateline did an expose on this company, beef company in South Dakota. And, and they, they, they did, some of you remember this, it was big news at the time. And they compared the ground beef that BPI sold to pink slime. And you're not going to believe this, hard to believe, but their sales plummeted overnight to 50%. Literally from a Friday to a Saturday, their sales plummeted 50% because BPI said it was nothing more than pink slime. Well, BPI didn't take that sitting down, and uh, they took Disney, who owns ABC, to court, and they won. They sued them for $1.9 B 
billion dollars, with a B, billion dollars. And they won. Why? They called it unjust criticism and proved that it wasn't true, but all because of the words they said. And I want to tell you this, and I'm moving on. I'm finished. What if God held us accountable like that to the way we speak about the church? I promise you ABC watched what they said after that. One day God's going to hold us accountable. And I've always said this. And by the way, nobody's complained to me at anything. As far as I know, everybody loves P-Vine. If you don't love P-Vine, don't tell me. But I love preventative maintenance preaching. It's hard to rock the boat when you're rowing it. And if you don't like something going on, you know the best thing you can do is dive in and start rowing with the rest of us. And you'll find a lot of that stuff you care about, you don't care about as much anymore. Fourth thing Paul told us. I'm finished. You ought to put on your work clothes. He said in verse 17, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is not giving a distinction between church life and work life. Paul in this phrase is really summing up the upgraded life. What does it mean to do everything in the name of the Lord? It is speaking of your work life, but really every aspect of your life. Here's what Paul said. Live your life constantly, here's the word, aware of the Lord. Constantly aware of the Lord. That's what, here's what that means. In every small detail, in every word, in every interaction, in every relationship, and decision, and transaction, and aggravation, and thought, and deed, conversation. Paul said, be aware that the Lord is in you and that you are carrying his presence everywhere you go. To work? Sure. But even in the tiniest transaction... Be aware that he is always there. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. A drug dealer was tracked down the other day, just the other day in, in Europe. And he was tracked down. Carl Stewart was 39 years old and he was tracked down uh, by a photo he posted online. He was jailed for 13 years because he was a heroin, cocaine, all kind of drug dealer. And the police have been looking for him forever. And he was posting images on something called EncroChat. Now, I didn't know this. I had to do a little research. EncroChat is basically um, drug dealer social media or criminal social media. I, di- I didn't know this. And I hope, hope you don't use it. Maybe, maybe if you do, maybe you're not a drug dealer. But it's people who can't be traced. What they didn't know is that the government had cracked the code of EncroChat, and the government had been actually monitoring the posts that were on there. And this criminal posted a photo of Stilton Cheese, and he was saying, he was basically making a social media post and saying, this Stilton Cheese is my favorite kind of cheese. Well, the, the police came in, and they were able to pull his fingerprints off the photo of Cheese. They were able to tag his location, and then they went to his house and arrested him, and he got over 13 years in prison, and he's waiting more at trial, and the man is going away for a long time. Why? Because he didn't pay attention to one small detail. One small detail, and it landed him in prison probably for the rest of his life. One small detail, and he... Busted. 
And I saw the photo and I thought, I wonder how much we pay attention to those same small details in our life. How much attention do we pay to those same small details? Because even the small details, what others see in us matters. So how are you dressed this morning? What's in your closet? Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. I, I told you guys it was going to be a good one. I love this series, this practical series out of the book of Colossians. So what are you wearing? I mean, uh, maybe if you're watching online, it's kind of early. Maybe you still got your pajamas on. Um, but we've got clothes for different occasions. In fact, sometimes I need bigger clothes. Sometimes I may lose a little weight and I may need a little bit smaller clothes. But um, we, we've got we've to clothe ourselves. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul is saying, telling us all those things as believers that we're to put on. We're to put on the character of Christ. And you've got clothes that you wear for different occasions and they're different parts of our lives and we need to make sure that we're properly clothed. We've put on the proper things for the different areas of our life. And so um, I, I love that analogy and I love the truth um, that, man, we need to be ready and have on the right things to serve God and do what He has called us to do. And maybe, maybe if you're watching for the very first time this morning, the first thing you need to put on is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You need to start a relationship with Jesus that begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. You've broken God's law. You've offended God. It starts right there. you got to be willing to admit that. And we all know um, that we're sinners. The second thing is you've got to trust and believe that Jesus died on the cross, He was buried on the third day, and He rose again. And you've got, to, you've got to believe that. And you've got to believe that what Jesus did on the cross pays for all your sins. And then you confess that to Him. You believe that in your heart and you confess that with your mouth. And today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you to tell God this now. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart through your Holy Spirit. Take away my sin. Be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning and you meant it, I want to tell you, welcome to the family. Most important and best decision that you could ever make is to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. But there are some things that we want to help you with. We want you to know that you're not on this journey alone. There are some resources we want to send you and we want to connect with you and help you take those next steps. And, uh, and so if you would, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you will click on the button that says, I commit my life to Christ, and it's going to ask you a couple of questions, please fill those out so that we can connect with you and put a, uh, a free copy of a book called Welcome to the Family that helps you know what the next steps are on your faith journey with Jesus. What an exciting week it's been together watching online. 
And I'm so glad that you joined us. And um, I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.